What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 12 of the B-Roll Podcast. I'm here with an old teacher of mine. That's kind of how we got to know each other, Armando Alvarez. And uh, I had just asked you before you walked in, like, where are you at in your life right now? Because I know you graduated from UM as a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, so a little bit of a journey. So how I know Jose, um, I was his teacher when he was a freshman um, many, <laughs> many, many moons ago. Um, and it's kind of nostalgic seeing uh, Matt on the podcast and on the on YouTube and be like, man, these guys have already grown up, have their own lives. Um, so yeah, I graduated Westwood uh, out of high school um, and I ended up going to, I played college baseball at Dominican College in New York, transferred to a smaller school called Southeastern in Lakeland, and then transferred to UM, um, didn't play baseball there, but ended up uh, doing my undergrad there. And I had like a gap year. So during that gap year, I uh, taught at Westwood. Yeah, uh, just to make some extra money. That's yeah. what you can do. That was your best option right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at that point, I don't know if, if you knew what my schedule was, but I would teach y'all. I would teach the freshman health sciences. <laughs> I was an elementary PE teacher. I did some weight training. I coached baseball after. Um, I coached Matt when he was on varsity. Um, probably one of the better years of my life like really? coaching was awesome that was fun yeah and then i got into med school at miami while i was at westwood teaching um and then ultimately graduated med school with my md and ph and got into residency uh into something called physical medicine and rehab mm -hmm. uh, which is a pretty <clears throat> pretty unique uh specialty yeah yeah yeah, yeah. what t talk to me a little bit about that why why'd you choose that and what inspires you to be in that yeah, good, good question. So a lot of people hasn't, haven't really heard of what PM&R is or physical medicine rehab. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice combination initially why I got into it. It's, an, it's a nice combination of neurology, non-operative orthopedics with the patient as uh, at the center of kind of like a holistic approach. So basically the way that we treat patients is we tend to see traumatic brain injury patients, spinal cord injury patients who have these catastrophic injuries mm. and, you know, they're stabilized by the neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons. And then ultimately they come to us, they, they spend two, three weeks with us and we kind of lead a team of physical therapists, occupational therapists, nursing staff, speech therapists to kind of get the patient back to what a new normal is going to be like. And so what role does the doctor play in this? Like what would your job be on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, great question. So in an ideal world, in a rehab setting, the the physiatrist, which is what I, what I am, the PM&R doctor, doesn't do much. Mm. We kind of manage what medically there what's going on with them whether that be high blood pressure clots um, new altered mental status but the 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 people who really push the patient into what that new normal are or is is the therapist mm -hmm. but it's a pretty unique field where you get this continuity of care um, over two to three weeks um, and then personally, what I'm going to go into is actually sports medicine, mm. which is something that I've always kind of been passionate about um, being a, an, a college athlete and 
Um, I just really love everything sports, this yeah. sports psychology, all of it. Yeah, working with athletes, that'll be awesome yeah. for sure. And uh, did you ever get in an injury while you were playing or anything? Uh, oh, I can list off yeah. so many injuries. Yeah, so you know actually what it's like. You know, you have that hands-on experience when it comes to someone else dealing with something. or. And, and it's one of those things, actually, one of the more pivotal points in my life. Um, I was a junior in college, um, went up for a play. I landed on my back. The next day, I couldn't move. My lower back, I couldn't bend over. Ended up getting an MRI, and then I had a herniated disc. Um, I had to come from Lakeland down to Miami. A pretty prominent neurosurgeon told me, you're done playing. You're done playing. Um, you need to redshirt. That's it. Your career is done. Your career is done. Um, and, I mean, you're, you played sports, too. You're always in the mindset of, like, nah, I got to come back. I got to come back. Just not quit. Um, so I got a second opinion, ended up going to therapy, uh, to physical therapy, and kind of bounced back. I got better and went back to that neurosurgeon. And he's like, oh, so how are you doing? I'm <laughs> like, uh, I'm like, pretty bad. You told me I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to play again. <laughs> um, and he's like, what? Oh, my God. I read the wrong MRI. No, you have that was to the, be kidding That me. was the wrong patient. And I'll never forget because I screenshotted the email that he said that I would never play again. And I walked out of there and it was so shocking to me. That is really like emotional, like it affects your emotions. It was terrible. It was terrible. Everything that you've known, everything that you've wanted to do, play college sports, you know, ideally play professional, but you know, I'm five, six, that's not, that, <laughs> that, that's not going to happen. Um, it just didn't, you know, you shatter a young athlete's career. Um, and had I taken that route, that's it. I would have been done. I would have lost my scholarship. Who knows what would, what would have happened? Yeah, that's so sad how that happens. And your scholarship gets pulled, and mm -hmm. then now you're in that spot. And it's that's just so bad, man. That is really a tough spot to be in. And and me, that's very like very you know micro thing. You know, it's a college athlete who's no longer playing. But I kind of saw that a little bit more globally. Who knows what that might you know getting misdiagnosed and and that happens. You know. Doc, you know, yeah. doctors are people too that make mistakes. Um, but being able to recognize that and actually admitting, you know, I made a mistake. Yeah, you know, it's true. It's I apologize. True. How can I make this better? This guy just didn't care. He's hmm. like, oh, my bad. He just straight up told you. I mean, I guess it's good that he came clean. You know, he yeah. didn't just have you thinking that for the rest of your life. That would be, that would be much worse. But man, what a, damn! I did not know that. Yeah, what yeah. a story. And then, so how's your back now? How do you feel now? Do you have like arthritis and like pain? You feel anything? No, no. I mean, I feel pretty good. I during during quarantine, you know, I think everybody kind of went through their own uh, mental trying to get back into something. Um, I ended up running a half marathon by myself during quarantine. What? Yeah, that yeah. is crazy. How long did you train for that? Uh, you know. Working in the hospital, I would just happen to be in, in a, on a rotation that um, they had to send me home. So I had to start working from home specifically because just the patients that we were taking, you know, nobody knew anything about the virus early on. Mm -hmm. So they sent me home and I was doing work from home and I'm just a really high energy guy. Um, I've always been and I started running in the morning and at night, you know, I went from you know, two miles, four miles, six miles, eight miles. And then one day I was like, let's give it a shot. Dude, that is crazy. Yeah. yeah, running has never been my strong suit. Neither has it been you for know? me. Yeah, especially us. Yeah, athletes, we hated running. We're like, it's man. It's a punishment. It's you a kidding punishment. me? 
yeah how'd you switch how'd you switch uh from it being a punishment because something mentally had to have switched with you to say I'm, i'm enjoying this in a way yeah i think early on during during quarantine it was one of those things where um first of all the gyms were closed um i ended up buying i went to home depot bought two buckets and went to the keep his cane and filled them with sand and started working out i tried to be active you know mm-hmm. um and then i just started running and i didn't like it but i'm like okay sometimes <laughs> you got to do things you don't like yeah. um and i just started it started running one mile and it's kind of therapeutic your mind kind of just wanders um i started listening to podcasts I have like my favorite podcast with um other sports psychologists and it just my mind kind of wandered and the next thing you know you're running five miles and you're not tired yeah um and then you look back and you're like man i'm it's really I'm, satisfying i'm moving yeah i'm moving yeah, yeah and so you said you're in your third year residency yeah talk to me a little bit about that because from an outsider's perspective i always people would always tell me that's kind of like the worst part or the hardest part right right so it all depends on the specialty you pick, mm-hmm. right? Um, so my my specialty is PM&R, physical medicine and rehab. Our residency is tough, but it's definitely not as tough as, let's say, neurosurgery or orthopedic surgery that are pulling, you know, 24-hour, 48-hour shifts. Mm. Um, but it is, it is tough, especially your first year when you start in internal medicine. Um, so the way the residency works is you go into medical school, then you apply. There's something called the match. Um, where you put your list of places you want to go and the programs that you interviewed at, they put a list of who they want. They put it into an algorithm. Mm-hmm. And if if you know about football, or like the old school BCS championship, <laughs> they just match you. Mm-hmm. If the computer if the computer algorithm fits, then that's where you go and you have no say. You just go. Um, and you know, I started on an internal medicine and it's tough, man. Of you know those first, it's it's education by fire hydrant. They just open up the fire hydrant, and you just try to learn as fast as possible with real people. That's that's how you practice. That's how you go. And one day you're a medical student, and then the next day somebody's calling you doctor, and you're like, nah, <laughs> nah. I used to teach elementary PE at Westwood, man. No. Yeah, not does it. Like when I think of like elite scholars and elite people, you know, you think of lawyers, doctors. How do you feel? Because you graduated from UM as a doctor, like you are pretty elite when it comes to life. You know, you achieve something that that no one. You know, it's it's very very difficult. Yeah, it's definitely difficult. You know, I think that I never thought I could be a doctor when I was at Westwood as a student. I wanted to play college baseball. I wanted to play in the minor leagues. I wanted to go as far as I possibly could, could and I wanted to uh, go into business. Mm. Like every... That's the, that's that's, the dream right there. That's <laughs> the dream right there. I just go into business, whatever business is. Um, initially, I mean, I've, I've always had like a pretty open heart, so I always kind of, I always kind of wanted to do like a nonprofit work or something like that. Mm. But, um, you know, I had another incident my freshman year in college where our second baseman and our shortstop went head to head. Uh, they collided. Um, you know, our second baseman ended up having a seizure on the field, and I felt helpless, helpless. And I saw one of the athletic trainers, um, athletic training student, actually, who was our senior at the time, 
come over, roll them over on the side. Chopper comes in. They fly him out. Um, and that was another thing for me where I was like, I never want to feel helpless again when it comes to that. Hmm. Right. Um, and that was one instance. And then I had other instances, you know, more, you know, volunteering at other clinics that kind of, I mean, fell in love with medicine, but, um, the first time that you hear a Dr. Alvarez, you're like, nah, (laughs) nah, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine um, just being in that field, you know, seeing the things that you might see. I, I know you're not in like a like a field where traumatic injuries are coming in. Are, are you? Have you seen? Like, what have you been through? You know what I mean? So we do get the aftermath of what trauma becomes. Yeah. Right. So basically, you know, a, a rollover on I-95 patient comes in that's paralyzed, right, with a spinal cord injury. We don't see that patient initially. What we do see them is once they're stabilized and almost we're kind of the ones that almost break the bad news. Like, you know, these are your new functional limitations. Um, But it is it is pretty rewarding. Um, It is pretty rewarding when you see some patients who come in pretty bad um, and over two to three weeks with a pretty helpful staff and you know knowledgeable staff they they improve yeah they improve yeah Yeah, that is satisfying that's especially for like i i've spoken with a lot of people my girlfriend's mom owns a a therapy physical therapy Mm -hmm. and speech therapy and um what's the other one occupational therapy i think so I've, I've dealt with a lot of work. I've done therapy myself and just to, to it's it's with kids, you know, oh, so nice. to see kids recovering and learning to walk and learning to speak like there's there's not many feelings that are better than helping someone like that, you know, and, and that and that's one of those things where you have instances in your life where things happen and you look back and you cannot be more grateful than than being in this field. I'll, I'll give you a quick story. I had a, a patient, young guy. um, was hit by a car um and his first i got goosebumps his first words i had just happened to be in the room with him he was with a speech therapist um and he just said he said i love you mom his mom wasn't in the room but that's all he could say but that's the first words this you know he was young guy 23 24 years old had said in almost three or four months um, and I remember uh, the speech therapist uh, on speakerphone calling the mom, and you just heard her. Man, the goosebumps are real. You just hear her crying, and it's just—it's one of those things where once you see that, you're like, man, that one. I'm blessed mm-hmm. that you know um, that I have good health, um, but I am also very grateful to be in a profession where you get to experience that amount of emotion. Um, cause sometimes it's hard, but bro, and it's rewarding. It's yeah. rewarding. So what do you think about like the, the consciousness of that person that those were the first words, you know what I mean? Like that's really powerful stuff if you really think. And that was, you know, this is kind of, you know, pre COVID, um, where mom would mom hustled. She was a single mom who had to work at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, came out seven, eight o'clock at night. But after that, she would work in Fort Lauderdale. She would come down 
um, spend the night with him. And that's what he was used to. Yeah. And who knows what he defaulted back into, but it's one of those things where when, when you see it, um, consciousness is just another thing where I remember his eyes. He, he was not there. And then one day he was there, you know, um, it's like that boxer look when you get knocked out. Yeah. I, you know, you're, you're not there. And then all of a sudden your eyes fixate and, oh man, there's somebody in there. Yeah. It was, it's. Yeah, as a doctor, what do you think about that? What do you feel about that? Where where are you? You know, with what when consciousness when you're gone, like what where are you? You know what I mean? Like it also happens with alcohol. You know, people get and they'd be like, "Hey, what happened last night?" Yeah. So yeah. where are? But you're still functioning sometimes. So it's so, such a strange thing. I don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I definitely won't overstep. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. a, I don't. I don't know it all. Um, the brain. The brain is an unreal, yeah. an unreal machine. Um, that, you know, obviously it, for that, it's more like the hippocampus and, and yeah, the actual exactly. brain and, um, you know, alcohol kind of affects the hippocampus and memory. But, um, when you have these traumatic brain injuries, you have these microcellular, you know, microscopic changes in the brain that, that happen. And, um, just over time it, they start reorganizing and they start reframing themselves and, and you're back. Yeah. You know, some people come back, some people don't, you know, they have, you know, limitations, um, but it's cool. It's cool. So man. H- how important when you see someone recovering from an injury or something tragic happens to them, how important do you think that the mental state and mental toughness and the mind, do you believe in the power of the mind as yeah, a doctor? Like you have to, I think, um, w- without question, the way that you perceive your illness um, or your disease or, you know, your perception on what's happened to you, why it's happening to you mm-hmm. is I'm not going to say the most important, but it is very, very important. Um, because you know, we've had patients that, um, just say, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting, but a, a good, a, a good example. Sometimes we deal with patients who have a lot of pain, mm-hmm. right. Um, after surgeries. And sometimes these patients are I'm not going to say the annoying ones, but no matter what, I'm in pain. I'm in pain. You can't figure it out. And I am a huge, I love psychology. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. Um, <laughs> just because you can play with people's minds. I remember walking into patients' rooms before. I, I rarely ask, hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. You're in pain. I know that, man. Yeah. I get it. So the second I walk into the room, I don't even allow a word. I just come in, clap, and I go, you look great. <laughs> you look great. And they're yeah. usually like, I feel good, doctor. I feel good. Sometimes <laughs> it works, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah. that being able to bring in positivity is unbelievably important. Um, you're at the way that you project yourself is contagious to it other is. people. That's exactly what I was going to say. 100%. And to, to, cause I know you're, you've always been like extremely cool extremely fun extremely happy smiling all the time you know yeah. laughing so to have a doctor like that i could imagine the impact that you have on people and that's that's awesome no, i appreciate you it know? and, and it really is uh, maybe it's the the fact that i still look like i'm <laughs> 19 or 18 you know so a, yeah. lot, a lot of times especially with a mask and you know, the patients will be like oh so where yeah. so where's the doctor i'm like yeah, that's me <laughs> that is funny yeah i mean i can't yeah the the people that have all these injuries and, and traumatic uh, 
things and now you can't even see the faces of your doctors you can't even see the faces you can't you know it's it's scary you know and, and giving you you know I, I heard the the podcast uh with um with matt um mm-hmm. where he went and he had to go you know get his appendix removed um in the middle of covid right being alone uh, i'll give you another story um certain hospitals have certain regulations so they weren't allowing visitors and there i walked into a patient's room who had been at a previous hospital for about 40 something days and i walked in there and he was there with his wife and i walked in and i'm like hi you know my name is dr alvarez i'm the rehab resident that's going to be taking care of you and wife looks at me goes do you mind giving us a few minutes i was like yeah i mean sure she's like look i'm i apologize i just I haven't seen him in a month and a half. Oh this is the first time that I see him. And when you see that, then that's where things start. Things click. Yeah. Things click that, you know, especially with the virus, it's also very early on. You don't know what's going on. And being apart from your loved ones for a month and a half, trying to recover, it ain't easy. No. no. That's why I can't imagine the impact that, that people go through when they're not able to say goodbye, you know, to mm-hmm. a loved one. And, and it's very, very sad, but you know, we've, I feel as an outsider, obviously maybe from a doctor's perspective is different, but I feel that we've evolved well, you know, and we've, and we've gotten much better over the months and, and the science has been better because I don't think that the hospitals were prepared to contain a virus that's highly contagious and have people in separate rooms and like the, the logistics of moving people around and, and it's I can't imagine that 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 trouble in the beginning was, was it what were you doing in the beginning of, of coronavirus what a great question um so I I happened to be working at that time during the VA um at Miami and you obviously start hearing that there's a virus in China mm-hmm. right February what's going on and, you know, it doesn't really matter where you stand politically, right? It's just you hear things, you hear things, you hear things, mm-hmm. right? What's true, what's not true. It's tough to say. It's a new virus. Nobody really knew, knew what was going on. When it finally hit me was when they started um, not allowing people at Jackson, which is the hospital I'm working at. Um, and then Jackson Memorial was just a ghost town. Mm. There wasn't anyone there. It was just quiet when that hospital is usually pretty busy in the sense of the patio areas. All the the, the restaurants that are outside of the hospital. It's just quiet. Um, and you're walking to the hospital and there's nothing. No one really walking around. And then you're sent home because, hey, we don't know enough yet. So we're going to have to send you home to limit exposure to other patients. And that's that's what happened to me. Um, just in the happened to be in the rotation that I was on, and then ultimately once time went, then I went back into the hospital. Mm-hmm. But the the fear inside, you know, and again, I wasn't involved in the ICU in the emergency rooms. That's not where I was. But the tension was palpable. It was scary. And not to get sidetracked, but what mm-hmm. what about the patients that you were already working with, and 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 what happened with them? You know, right. So. The rotation that I happened to be on was a spinal cord injury patient, a rotation um, at at the VA. Those patients tend to have much more chronic or long-standing 
pulmonary issues, right? Mm. So they basically wanted to limit the exposure of how many people were actually be, uh, seeing the patients, which is completely understandable. For sure. Um, you know, they gave me additional work to do at home, continued my education um, a, remotely, and that's kind of where things went. Um, but then... Uh, obviously I went back into to Jackson when the time was when the time was right my rotation was up yeah and I've I've heard you know people saying hey the the hospitals it's madness it's crazy I heard some people say oh they're not even that packed tell me what was going on how how was it for you so so I'll go with a joke because you know initially when the virus started coming in um we we would hear Oh, the hospitals are full. The hospitals are full. I did, wasn't at Jackson at that time, mm-hmm. right? so I didn't know. But the one thing that I started noticing was outside of the hospital, they started building tents. And once those tents went up, we're like, "Oh, these are the sc- these are these are tents for extra beds." Oh no! And once those tents, eventually the virus kind of got controlled a little bit. I don't know if you remember, like maybe like in April, May, things kind of started cooling down. People thought that it was kind of going away. And then they took the tents down and we're like, all right, we're, we're getting back to normal. And then all of a sudden the tents started going back up and then we just started calling them the death tents because we, we knew that that's what was coming. Um, and that's exactly, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Once they, once people get on the on the de- on the beds, you know, and then they have a machine breathing the ventilators, yeah. and I hear that it's hard to recover from from that stage there. Right, right. It's it's very again. I'm not an expert in COVID. I'm mm-hmm. not a pulmonologist, but you know, initial research, you know, was initial research. Yeah. It's it's tough to know exactly what was going on, um, and you know, we're still learning day by day. Um, but yeah, initially, it's it's scary. It was it was very very scary because we also didn't know what was going on. Exactly, the science um, was not. We we weren't there. We, we weren't we, there. We didn't know. Yeah, I mean it's a novel virus for a reason, right? Yeah. And so, do you entertain that it was created in a lab? Oh, <laughs> does my the God. does the medical field entertain that? Oh man, I assumption. Don't, <laughs> I, I, I won't even go there. Nah, I'm not a I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Um, you know. What what the, the science that's out there is out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, I can I can play I can play it political for sure and be like we have to deal with what we have now, whether it was created in a lab or not. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. I definitely don't believe it was it, it was created okay, in a good, lab. Good, good. Um, but but yeah, I mean, and and again, kind of to touch on that that that's the other part that was very scary was, you know, if you're not in the medical field, science is scary, medicine is scary, um, and you hear. You know, obviously on the internet, you can look up any angle you want, anything. If you have a thought, you can Google it. You'll find an answer that supports that. Um, and that was, that's, I think, what happened, right? Yeah, I think so crazy, misinformation huh? kind of going all over the place. Um, there was the bat theory in the beginning that just took over the internet and then got debunked. You know, like, it's like, man, if, and as people... You know, we're people at the end of the day. I feel like me as just a person, a young kid, you're young, professional, I'm so easily influenced. You know, Mm -hmm. if I see certain things and and I'm like, oh, man, that makes sense. And you keep going and and you just fall into so many traps. And and it's funny because um, 
you know, you're recording this, uh, you know, in, at the end of January. And the big thing right now is the GameStop stock. Oh, yeah. Right? The GameStop oh, yeah. stock. How did I find out about the GameStop stock? <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> I saw a few memes and I'm like, wait a second. This is funny. Wait a second. Why is there a third meme? I go on GameStop and I'm like, oh, there, there's a Reddit thread with this? So that's, I think, how we get information now. We're in the Twitter age, the Instagram age, where you see a post and so some people just believe it. Yeah. There's no research behind it. Um, and I think it's the responsibility of the, you know, the person who's actually reading it to do their research. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just read something and instantly add it to your bank and say, this is truth. And now I'm going to go spill it everywhere. And you have a snowball effect. And, and then there's the confirmation bias with the media and everything. And it's, it's crazy how misinformation can be spread so easily. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But um, yeah, that that GameStop. Have you uh, looked into that? It's pretty crazy stuff, huh? It is. It is pretty. I have mean, you, do you have time in your day to to do things like this? How how busy are you? A, depending on the rotation that I'm on, I'm pretty busy. Mm-hmm. Um, the current rotation that I'm on right now is not too terribly busy, but it's still busy nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, uh, it's funny when you talk about busy and not busy. You know, during my intern year, the rotations that i was not busy i was working 65 hours a week 70 hours a week <laughs> and then the, the the busier ones you know you're you're knocking on close to 80 hours six days a week with one day off um i was lucky i didn't have to do any nights my intern year um but you know it all becomes perspective so you tell somebody they're working 80 hours a week they're like nah that's two weeks in one yeah and that's just normal that's kind of just normal. Yeah, and that that learning process. Imagine how much more you can learn if you're working eighty hours and if you're only working forty. Yeah, then, but then burnout kicks in, oh. and and the last the last thing you want is you know your doctor to be working his twelfth hour on his twelve hour shift at the back end of his eighty hour work week. Yeah, you don't want to be that guy. No way. Yeah, your brain can only take so much information. Mm-hmm. Um, do you read? Read as in read books, anything you're interested in, or podcasts mainly. So, so that's that's a one area that I'm probably pretty bad at is reading books. But I I do listen to a lot of Audible, um, mm-hmm. and podcasts. I love anything audio. Yeah, like uh, are you the multitasking type of guy that you like to do other things while you're listening to a podcast and like maybe just things around your house or or you know. So it, so it definitely depends on on the mood that I'm in or like the the time of day. So in the morning, I'll usually listen to like kind of like a news podcast, you know, like the daily or something, kind of quickly just catch me up on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, during like my drive to work, um, depending on I, I like a, a there's a I'm blanking on the name of the podcast. Finding Mastery by Michael Gervais is a sports psychology. Um, podcast that i love um and i'll listen to him when he puts out new stuff and then anything by malcolm gladwell if you know who malcolm really? gladwell is. i'm definitely gonna look back on this because to, to remember what these are anything with malcolm gladwell is just gold for me this is his voice is a little monotonous but he is <laughs> he's, he, a, he's a genius he's what i think you know he's one of these guys who can take anything and see it from a different angle mm. and 
give you the same meaning, but from a different perspective, right? Um, and I, yeah, I'm. I he, love that honestly. Yeah, he 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 has a few books. Um, one is is called Blink, um, where it talks a lot about implicit bias and overall just like systemic racism and how we make quick decisions on people the second you meet them um and then he had he just put out a new one called that is so true talking to strangers (laughs) yeah which is it's great um yeah i'm I'm obsessed just obsessed with this man big fan yeah i love him i love him yeah yeah people yeah i don't like i don't like people that judge like i i never entertain that like so if one of my friends says oh look at this look over here I just like it's not, it's not it's not entertaining to me. It's not intriguing to me to 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 be that way. It's just not the way that I was raised. You know, I feel that everyone comes from a different background and have a different mindset, and all perspectives deserve a listen. You know, and all we could ask is to have an open mind about things and and learn. You know, and and I and I think with with bias, it's so interesting because no matter who you are to a certain extent you're to a point biased and you know you see someone you're gonna make a judgment you're gonna you're gonna judge it's the the way i see it is it's my responsibility to catch myself and recognize yo i'm judging yeah right and then be aware of with education with being you know a a socially accepting person Mm -hmm. okay one, why am I judging? Two, let's give this person a shot. Of course. Right. And uh, have you always been that way? Or do you think that being a doctor now it makes you more emphatic? You know, because I feel like you're an empathetic person because you could relate to all these people that come from, and you've seen you've seen things, you know, so. I, you know, I think um, the way I was raised, um, you know, obviously being, being in Westwood, I think Westwood kind of puts you on a certain mindset to a certain extent um, and then you go to college and you have no choice but to kind of open your mind a little bit right um, and then you have interactions on a daily basis where you know the person you're talking to is from a completely different background a different religion they didn't grow up in Kendall they yeah. grew up in Iowa <laughs> they grew up you know they grew up in India you know it's it's different it's different perspectives yeah it really opens your mind huh? it, it ha- you have no choice right you can stay in your box you can stay in your lane um, but it's so much better to open up open up your box yeah, yeah yeah it is and it's I've I've I remember the first time traveling to Mexico I went to Mexico City I was probably 13 years old and just seeing the way that people live and, and the culture and it's like a really humbling experience. And I forgot what the statistic was. Like, I think it's like 50% of, I don't, I don't know the exact number, but a large percentage of Americans have not even left the country, you know? So you don't know any, you know, you're in your, you're in your box. Like how you just said. You so know? when I was in it, it's funny because it, it shows, it shows how people try to be culturally competent. And then just come out being racist. <laughs> that's just just me. Right? So like, when I enter, I'm my name is Armando Alvarez, clearly Hispanic <laughs> with a Miami accent, mm-hmm. right? Um, when I interview in Miami, I'm Cuban, mm-hmm. right? When I interviewed in New York, they're like, "Oh, what part of Puerto, Puerto Rico you're from?" <laughs> I'm like, "I'm like, okay, I understand that." And I'll never forget interviewing in California. Um, <laughs> nice person, I guess, came up to him and be like. Oh man, 
you're Hispanic, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, your parents must make great tacos. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, and I'm like. <laughs> That's the first thing they said to yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, come on. Come on. You know, it's it's one of those things where I know that they're not trying to be malicious. Of course. But that's what they've been around. That is crazy. Right? Um, any Hispanic person in Miami is Cuban by default until proven otherwise. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. Exactly. So it, 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 that's the advantage, I think, because you go to UCF, yeah? I go to UCF, yes. Yeah. So that's, I think, the advantage of leaving Miami for a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah. Miami is its own little microcosm. Um, Absolutely. It's its own world. And you leave. There are bigger things out there. And that are not there's Miami, Miami and then there's Florida, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you leave just a few hours. It's like, man, nothing even close. I was joking around, you know, I, it, anything, anything north of Dolphin Mall <laughs> is Broward and North yeah. Florida. Yeah. That's it. No, that's it. It's a, it's America. Imagine <laughs> all of America, you know, we think we're like, you know, the mentality here. If yeah. you stay here, you would never know. Yeah. The rest of America is so different. It's crazy, man. It's really crazy how diverse um, Miami is. Not diverse, but different than than anywhere. We're I'm so lucky. We're so lucky to be born here, and, and it's and beautiful, man. It's and the the diversity is you don't have to go far, right? Um, where I went to school for medical school, you know, we're right next to Overtown, mm-hmm. right? And I, so I got, um, and this is you know, something that's just very interesting, you know. Um, so I got my MD and PH. So I got two degrees at the same time. Um, and uh, my master's in public health, uh, my medical doctorate. So, um, a lot, there's always a desire to leave the country and, you know, help people in a foreign country, you know, it's very rewarding, but man, is there a need in South Florida? Really? You know, there you, the homeless population here, um, the disenfranchised, like there's so much that can be done here locally. Um, and I think sometimes we lose perspective as we try to, you know, fix so many other things in other places, which if that's your passion, you go, you go for it. Of course. Um, but there's so much good work that can be done here. Um, that again, going to a place like, you know, medical school in Miami really opens your eyes to the need there is in just generally in South Florida. And so going to UM medical school, was it diverse? Is it diverse? Do they... Do they, how was your class? How, how is being a doctor? Cause I know law school as a, compa- a comparison, it's very competitive. You're working with your peers a lot. You're doing mock trials with each other, working together, library, long hours. What's becoming a doctor like? So, you know, becoming a doctor initially, I was terrified, terrified, um, because you always hear medical school, medical school, medical school is unbelievably tough and they were right <laughs> from the jump it's tough um but something clicks something clicks where uh, again another funny story i remember emailing my anatomy professor and i was and because there was a long list of you know body parts and ligaments and nerves that you had to remember and i emailed him and i said hey you know I know we're going to have a practical and our, our practical is they put pins in the body and the cadavers and you have to identify what that structure is. And I said, Hey, there's a lot of structures here. Is there any ones that we really need to focus on? He's like, all of them. <laughs> and I was like, I understand that. I know that's what a professor is supposed to do. So I emailed him back and he's like, you're going to be a doctor. 
you got to know it all. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're right. I, you never know when you're going to have to pull, you're going to have to pull something out um, true. and you have to know it all. And that's where I think you really start taking ownership where you're not, you're not really studying for a book or for a test like you're studying for someone out there. Yeah. Um, because what you learn today, you're going to apply tomorrow in real life. Um, and so is it very hands-on, hands-on learning, you know? So, so the, the way that medical school is broken up is at least when I went, I know there's some changes going on. Um, med school right now, usually it's the first two years are a classroom based. First two years are classroom based. Your third and fourth year are your clinicals. You do have some clinical experience your first and second year, but not as much as your third and fourth. Um, so that's kind of how medical school is broken up. Um, and then you just learn all the different organ systems, system-based approaches. Um, and that's how it's... And how's that playing out now, you think, with coronavirus? You think it's going to impact the future doctors in a way because they can't get, you know, being home? How can you do that online? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I think that, like everything, medical education has had no choice but to evolve um, into remote learning. There's a lot of good information out there that you can look up online, you can learn a lot, but there's nothing like having somebody in front of you and making a decision face-to-face. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Being a doctor is all experience and, and practicing and getting better. What was one challenge for you or was there anything surprising to you about it, about medical school? Surprising. Yeah, I mean, I would say one of the more surprising things, um, one of the more surprising things of of medical school was one was obviously like you go into school knowing it's gonna be a lot of information. It's gonna be a ton of information. Um, I was surprised how quickly you you pick it up. Hmm. You just start picking things up. Um, the other thing was how negative it can be in the hospital how quickly things can turn negative in the sense of morale um but how quickly it can turn positive um and it really is one the energy that you bring in and your leadership right the leadership that um with your attending physician which is like your supervising physician depending on the energy that they bring in and and how they want to approach learning um is very is very interesting because you know, I've never seen Grey's Anatomy, but you hear enough about Grey's Anatomy that you know you can somewhat relate to it. Um, it really is a hierarchy, right? It's your supervising physician or your attending, then your resident, then your intern, then your medical students. It's a hierarchy, and everybody there is at a different level of education. Mm-hmm. You can't teach the medical student at the level of, you know, a resident or something like that. Uh, but being able to focus on you know, each level of learning and matching that person at where they are is also very important. Um, and I think that goes, uh, that's where you really start learning where, what the true educators are, people who are actually passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, so it really is like that. You're the doctor on top. All these people are learning at different levels and they just go up the ladder and respond to you. You're, you're the boss. I'm not the boss. You're not the boss yet. Not yet. But you will be the boss. Eventually, eventually. Um, you eventually get there. Um, but, it, you know, you have good residents. You have bad residents. You have 
good medical students, you have bad medical students, like anything, right? Yeah. You have good lawyers, you have bad lawyers. Of course. Um, so. Yeah, it is what it is. Man, what a field, what a job. Does it does it make you like spiritual in a way? Are you a spiritual person? I would consider myself a pretty spiritual, like I would consider myself a spiritual person. H- has there ever been a moment where you were like, that something happened or something occurred and you're like, there has to be some, there's something that, that you felt something or, or any experience like that? I haven't had anything in particular happen, you know, from a spiritual perspective in a hospital, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you definitely, when you have these hard, hard conversations, I'm also very weird. I'm just a weird person <laughs> in the sense of I love awkward situations. You put me in a tough conversation. I love it. Yeah. Because I think that's where you learn, right? That's where you learn social dynamics. Um, whenever a patient mm-hmm. was, again, it's weird to say, but anytime that, you know, one of my patients was not doing well or was in the ICU and you could see that they were most likely going to pass away, um, I would put myself in situations where I had to talk to the family. Usually sometimes I take the attendings responsibility, but I would talk to the families. Mm-hmm. Um, because one, everything you do is education, whether it's in medical school, whether it's outside ordering a colada at Sergio's, like every, you're learning at all times. It's always a social interaction and, and a learning experience. Yeah, I agree with that. Correct. Um, and I think that for me, you know, um, you learn how to be, you know, I think empathy to a certain extent, you're either you're born with, I think you're born with it, but you can develop that. You know, I think you can develop empathy. I'll, I'll, again, I'll never forget talking to the mom of a patient who, a you know, young woman, 25 years old, um, overdosed on heroin, right? Overdosed on heroin. That was her decision. Um, and I was talking to the mom. Mom had to drive in from Georgia and speaking to the mom. And I was like, look, she, you know, all of our tests are telling us that uh, very, very high likelihood that she's has brain death. That this is like this is it, right? Obviously, oh, you don't say it like that, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that this is it. That, that was a message. And I'll never forget, you know, that mom looking looking at me in in my eyes and saying, you know, I'm sad, but I knew this was coming. It was just a matter of time. But then you parallel that to you find out again. If you stick to the story, right? Like, she's a druggie, mm-hmm. right? She died. She overdosed. Who cares? It's another druggie. But then you find out that she decided to be an organ donor. I mean, the day that she was declared brain dead, she went back to the OR. They removed her organs, and she saved tens of lives. Mm. Kidneys were sent off to different places. Heart was sent off to different places. Lungs were sent off to different places. You know... It's one of those things where, yeah, maybe at this time when she decided to, you know, shoot heroin, who knows what led her to do that in the Mm -hmm. first place. I have countless other stories of how you find out that some patients are using drugs, why they're using drugs in the first place. Um, But her last decision on this earth was to be an organ donor, and she saved lives. Um, So... It's one of those things where you you have no choice but to see both sides. Like in that wrong decision, there was she saved she, that she saved a lot of lives. Yeah. yeah, at least there's a bright side to it. You know, I would never have 
looked at it that way. Mm-hmm. Do you encourage people to be organ donors? I think I think it's something that um, if you feel comfortable with, I think it should be done. Um, yeah. Because it sounds very ridiculous saying, but you're not going to use your kidneys six feet under, right? Yeah. No, there's def- that argument is definitely very strong. So if you feel comfortable with the idea of, you know, organ donation, I highly, highly recommend it because you you save lives. Yeah. You really do save lives. Yeah, you could. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's, you know, thinking about that now is like an uncomfortable feeling for me. I, I'm not, you know, with with organs and having someone opened up like. I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel like a little squeamish towards things like that. As a doctor, you probably you probably have to be used to it. You get used to it, but then sometimes it, it's shocking because uh, I've I've almost passed out twice uh, mm. when I and they're hilarious because you know I'm <laughs> I'm in the OR and you see chest cracked open, you oh see that, and I'm fine. It's not a problem. Why? It's stuff moving in there. It's fine. That's Ugh. it. It's cool. <laughs> but then I almost pass out when this young kid comes in because he had a fish bite on his pinky. It had split open. Um, and I had to stitch it back together. <laughs> and I don't know why it happened. I started sweating. Um, and I'll never forget this guy looked at me. He goes, yo, is this the first time you do this? I'm like, no. It was. But I was like, no. And he goes, because you acting like it. <laughs> <laughs> it gets hilarious, man. And what are you gonna do? So he was really calm. Oh yeah, he was. He, he was, was calm. chilling. He's like, here, yeah. man. Look, <laughs> and, and in med school, there's there's a there's something that we say pretty often is like fake it till you make it. Oh yeah. Right. And I think that goes for a lot of things in life. You just gotta fake it till you make it. Hundred percent. You just gotta believe it. Yeah. Yeah. It'll 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 become a reality if if you believe it enough. You know. Yeah. I mean. <sighs> So what what situations have you been in in like the OR? You said like when a, when a person's cracked open. Why are you there? What what are you, what is your role? So now, so that was more as a med student. Now I'm okay. not I'm not in the OR. Yeah. Um, as a medical student, you see things right. Whether you know, whether it's an appendicitis that comes in, um, or you know, I've I've been in organ donations before, where you know the patients brain dead and the plan is to remove all the organs and send them to different places mm-hmm. um so that's that's why i'm there uh, you know in med school you go through your rotations you do OBGYN, you do pediatrics you do internal medicine you do a lot of different rotations um to expose you to to what uh medicine is to see what you like yeah yeah and and um when it comes to like drugs and the use of drugs do you have like opinions like what's your opinion on like people that use drugs to like i don't know like because drugs are legal in i think it's colorado or one of these states oregon i think oregon Oregon, that you're allowed to use these drugs what's your what's your opinion on that and you do you think that people should have the right to do what they want with with what they want and maybe it'll become safer that way maybe people become more educated and not buy from some sketchy dude and buy from somewhere to help support their addiction and that way you can help them you know what what do you think about that you're asking heavy hitters yeah uh, that's a good one <laughs> uh, you feel proud like, yeah, i got him yeah. i got him yeah. um <laughs> you know my my opinion i'll circle around is you know again how i said i'm a weird person when a patient told me hey i did drugs mm-hmm. they told me they smoked weed i'm not really whatever you smoked weed so be it 
But I remember, again, having a patient who has to be on IV antibiotics because she has a bone infection because she was shooting heroin. And I asked them, why, why are you on drugs? Why, what, sorry, what I ask is, why <laughs> did you start? Okay. Why did you start? Um, and she looks at me, she goes, I've been shooting heroin for two or three years now. Um, I had a C-section and it was a botched C-section. Um, she's had pain ever since her doctor legally prescribed her Percocet and the pain continued and she kept on using Percocet. She, they didn't refill her Percocet. She's addicted and now she starts shooting heroin, right? Do I justify it? No, but I get it. I yeah. get it. And, and I think if you've never gone through addiction, um, it's hard to say, Hey, stop. Uh, why can't you stop? Um, you know, to get back to your question of, do I think that, you know, if it's like to legalize all drugs, I would say probably not. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think the, I don't think there's a good use for crack. <laughs> right. But you know, there's a lot of, and maybe this is what you were alluding to. There's a lot of research on hallucinogenics, right? There's a lot of research on psychedelics. Um, a, ketamine now is being used for depression, you know, which can also be some sort of, you know, hallucinogenic or psychedelic. I'm, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's hard to say that it's all bad. Um, I think in a controlled manner, um, I think it should be studied and then, and then, you know, kind of see what happens. But um, I don't think that everything should be legal. Um, but I do think that there's a big fear of drugs. Um but there's not a lot of um, substance, st- substantive, um, eh, I'm going to say research. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm losing words here. But um, I think that we do a pretty bad job of uh, making it sound that drugs are all bad um, when they're, they do have some sort of. Yeah, they're uh, there for a reason. Yeah. You know, I, I hear you. Yeah, the. And again, not all drugs, but, you know. Of course, of course, yeah. I don't even know where I stand on, on that issue, you know, because that's so complex and there's, there's everything is so complex at the end of the day, you know. Mm-hmm. All, all we could do is come together and, and have a conversation about it and talk about it, but um, what's the argument that alcohol is, is illegal and alcohol has hurt a lot of people, you know, and you are not allowed to drink and drive but yet you're allowed to go to a place that you have to drive to get to like a bar and you drink and then you leave. So it's like, I find that kind of ironic. You know, it's like a trap. Mm-hmm. Couldn't you just wait outside there as a cop and be like, hey, buddy, you just started your car. Let's go. You mean you got a point? You know, it's and it affects so many people and it's just as addicting, mm-hmm. I feel. You know, and, and I, it's it's a it's an interesting perspective that you put on because again, I think this is pretty well researched. The drinking problem in the United States is uh, much more interesting because you know the, drink, the legal drinking age is twenty one, right? But right, we've been to college, so you're probably. I know you and I haven't, right? But it, <laughs> no, you know, no. it, it drank before twenty one, <laughs> right? Just turned, yeah, twenty one. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, so you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but are you 21? 21. Wow. I am 21. Everyone's already 22. I'm 30. 
I'm an old man. I got I got back arthritis. Thirty, <laughs> man. Wow, thirty. Time flies, man. Um, but you know, uh, with uh, you know, in in Europe, right, uh, drinking is a little bit more accepted because you're introduced to it at an earlier age. It's not. Um, you're not hiding it. Mm-hmm. You have your wine at the ta- at the dinner table. Um, where culture. We're here. The cool thing is the drinking games, binge drinking, the blackouts. Um, <laughs> right. So that's that's what's advertised, um, and that's you know what what college is, or that's part of it. That's what's associated with it. That's the culture, right? So I think again, kind of we circle back to we have said it's, it really is perspective um, on a, on drinking. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I don't know, man. And as a as a doctor, when it comes to alcohol and and drugs and how does that play a role into your life personally? You know, like how does how does all this? How do you see it as a as a doctor? All these politicians and all the politics behind it, and they are pretty much getting to decide what. Do they follow the science? I don't know. I think you're a believer in science and research and just the the history of certain things. What do you think is going to happen in the near future with regards to marijuana and these drug laws? Should it? I know you're not a politician or anything, but should it be state? You know, state the state's choice. Should the government be involved? Like, where do you see that? You know, I I definitely think that. Um, the the way the way that I see it is one, uh, if we're going to specifically you know speak about marijuana, it's just a matter of time before it becomes um, a legalized, right? Do I think it should be you know recreationally? I'm not sure, right? I don't see the issue with it, right? I think it's going to be done either way. Um, the medicinal purposes, it's there. There's good research behind it. Is there is there a lot of research there's, there's, in support of that? Yeah, I mean, I would say for you know chronic pain, um, there's plenty of you know doctors out there that are prescribing you know medical marijuana for pain, for anxiety. Um, it works, right? And it's tough to say because very quickly somebody can easily send me an article that says it's not good, mm-hmm. and then I can send you an article that's it's good. Um, but it really. You know, it, it really depends on the research that you're conducting um, and kind of what you had mentioned before. Like you're going when you come up with a research question, what you try to avoid is that com- confirmation bias. Right. Mm-hmm. When you when you're talking to your boys, um, you're talking to your friends and you say a fact, you're not you're not Googling the opposing fact. You're Googling what you want to be true. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's the bias behind research. Research is biased. Yeah, right. The, you know, of course. It also depends, you know where funding is coming oh, from. There's... Yeah, don't even get started on that because you could fund an outcome if you wanted it uh, no, to come I, out absolutely. in your favor. One, you and know? that's one of, the, one of the big ones is, um, for me, was uh, when I was studying my, getting my, my master's in public health was, um, you know, health and nutrition data is, some, is sometimes funded by Coca-Cola, right? Hmm. So they're not going to give money to somebody who's going to come out and object to what they do of course right um and i think it's really important to have an open mind like anything you read it you digest it and you see right i think we live at least right now we're living in two black it's, it's too black and it's too white right there you can't have one without the other i'm democrat you're republican or vice versa it doesn't really matter why can't we have a conversation 
Absolutely right? agree. Just, you know, something dumb that I say, like some people like chocolate, some people like vanilla, some people like Neapolitan, <laughs> right? There's a middle in between. You you, you have no choice, right? Yeah. I, you know, I'm kind of an optimist in that regard. I feel like there's a lot more people in between, but the communication just isn't there. You know, I feel that if people got together more and actually discuss topics like a person and not just shouting at each other or, you know, whatever, whatever people do. I feel like we'll find a lot more common ground than we realize, you know, because again, it's perspective. If you go into a conversation, if you go into me talking to you where I'm going to prove you wrong Mm -hmm. versus changing the perspective, the perspective and saying, what can I learn from this person? If you can change the perspective of like, what can I learn from Jose Mm -hmm. versus what can I tell him? The conversation is much different because then I'm asking you follow-ups. I'm asking you questions. Um, And it's much easier to have a conversation that way than me trying to prove you wrong. Absolutely, yeah. And people don't listen to understand. They listen to respond. Yeah. And that is where it goes wrong. Again, people hear. People do really good at hearing. They don't listen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're just thinking about the comeback. And then they're not even listening to the half other half of your sentence, you know. And it's just they go back and forth and it's. I don't know, man. What a world we live in, huh? Anything. It goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, you know, like the media manipulation and, and the way that things can be construed to to serve a purpose. But I don't know, man. What do you what's your schedule looking like? Just in general? Yeah. Like how much free time do you have? What time do you wake up? What a great question. So it depends. Um, I'll. I'll tell you what my craziest schedule is and then what, what, what I'm currently doing now. Uh, my, when I was in my peak quarantine hypomanic stage, um, I would wake up around 5.30 every morning. I would work out in the morning. Um, I would have breakfast and I would be in the hospital by 6.45. Um, be there up until uh, it's usually you know, about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night depending on the rotation, um, Monday through Friday. And then the way our call schedule worked, we would either be on a 24-hour shift on Friday, have Saturday off, which is called our post-call day, and then come back for a 12-hour shift on Sunday and then repeat on Monday. Or you would work the five days a week, then on Saturday you would work a 24-hour shift, and then Sunday was off. So that's in the past. How do you find the time to wake up early and work out, man? Or not the time, the, the, the energy, the drive. You go for the feeling after. Yeah, yeah, it does make your day better, less stressful. You've released, and I don't know the science behind it, you probably do. The, the two things that, <laughs> I, that, that I do that I really told myself is like, if I wake up and I work out the second that I step inside the hospital, I've already accomplished more than 95% of the people that have stepped in. Absolutely. So I, that's the way that I looked at it. I also kept my pre-workout right next to me. So, you know, you take your pre-workout and now you gotta go. and that's it. You, <laughs> you can't go back to sleep when your heart rate's at 120, you know? Absolutely, yeah. So I would do that. My schedule now is, a, is much more controlled. Um, a, so I'll, I'll get into the hospital like around 8 um, and then usually leave around like 4 or 5. Now it's much more controlled, okay. five days a week. I don't work weekends. Um, and then the harder rotations, you'll get in like around like 8. They give around six or seven, still five days a week. And then we have another rotation where we do night float. So we just switch. So instead of working days, we work nights for two weeks. Hmm. And that's it. 
And how often does that rotation switch? Uh, so we switch rotations every six weeks. It's just kind of program dependent. Um, but we have technically a month of night float, but it's broken up into two two week blocks. Okay. Um, and then at that point, we work inside the hospital and the rehab center at Jackson. Um, and it's just one resident in house for s- up to seventy two patients. What do you prefer? Oof, I'm having currently having an existential crisis because <laughs> I I like outpatient, I like sports medicine, mm-hmm. um, I enjoy it, but I really like the day to day busyness of inpatient because mm-hmm. I feel like you do you do a lot as an inpatient doctor um, in rehab and um, but sports medicine is pretty cool too. Um, yeah. so it's it's kind of I'm I'm gonna go into sports medicine. That's my that's my fellowship of choice for right now. Um, but, uh, but I like, I just like medicine, man. It's, it's cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And working with athletes and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. And so where do you see, where do you see yourself playing out? Um, do you, do you want to start off, start up your own little doctor's office and, and where do you see yourself in the next couple years? Good question. Good question. So what, what, what I see myself doing, um, it's a little mix of both inpatient, outpatient. Um, in an ideal world, what I would want to do is use my master's in public health to do community work, whether that be, you know, I do think that, you know, I don't know enough about, you know, the payment about this, but um, before any athlete goes, you know, before any high school athlete um, goes to or is like approved by the FHSSA, um, which is, you know, the governing body for high school, Florida high school sports, you have to pay for a physical, yeah. right? I, I think, you know, there's a lot of, you know, impoverished athletes that just maybe can't afford a physical or, you know, so I would want to have something where you do kind of a nonprofit work or instead of, an, sorry, poor choice of words, it was, you would do more community-based um, pre-participation physicals for maybe athletes who can't afford to go to, a primary care doctor or don't have the insurance mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. There's got to be, yeah. The money side of that, there's got to be a way to determine who can afford it and who can't, you know, you have to qualify in some type of way. Exactly. You know, to not have just people say, Hey, free physical. We'll exactly. go. <laughs> you know, that would be sad. Um, but, but yeah, that the, is a good, uh, that is a good idea. Yeah. Do something like that. Um, and, and kind of focus on, um, just overall minority work. Um, increased diversity amongst the um, medical profession, right? Mm-hmm. I think that uh, there's something to say when your doctor looks like you. Um, I think that <laughs> makes it it makes it easier, right? It does. Um, yeah, more relatable. More relatable, right? I think we all speak English, but, you know, being able to speak the same lingo, right? Um, there's something, um, something that you see very, very often, right, I see is just these culture clashes, um, you know, eh, amongst, amongst um, eh, patients and physicians, right. Where they're saying the same thing, but they're saying it in different ways and they're not understanding each other. Mm, right. Okay. And I think that's pretty, it's just important. I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, helping people, there's no better feeling than that, you know, mm-hmm. doing that type of work. Obviously you have to make money and be financially stable. And do you have student loans? Do I have student loans? It's safe to say that I have a mortgage without a house. 
that's <sighs> that's what I have. Man, um, I'm pretty open with how much I owe. Right, medical school is pretty expensive. Um, right now, I'm sitting at a cool at a cool two seventy. At a cool 270. So if anybody wants to start a GoFundMe page, hopefully, hopefully this podcast blows up. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, donate. If we get 270,000 people to each donate $1. Whoever invested in GameStop. You can start your nonprofit right away. Yeah, yeah. Whoever, whoever, whoever invested in GameStop, hit up your boy. Yeah, there you go. Help us out, man. Um, but again, you know, you're quarter million debt, but at the end of the day, you'll be able to pay it back. Right. Of course. It, of course. It, it, it's significantly different, you know. If I was working a job that was paying me thirty five thousand dollars a year, of right, course. with a quarter million debt, um, I know I'm going to be able to make money at the back end. Um, if you're intelligent with your money and know what you're doing, so. Of course, of course, yeah, that's a that's a worry of mine because now I'm going into law school and I'm, I'm still debating: do I want to take on more debt, go to a little bit of a better school, or do I want to get this full ride that I have here? And then. You know, it's a it's a tough choice to make. Absolutely. You know, when did you realize uh, when you signed that little loan or, or whatever that this is for real? And <laughs> it, it hits you when you get your first bill. Okay. Right. When you get your first bill. And I'll tell you a funny story where, you know, I forgot to I forgot. So I consolidated my loans into like a big you know loan company Um and I forgot to do one of my financial assessments. So my first bill was like $3,000. And I'm like, nah, nah. <laughs> who's, who's playing games <laughs> what, what with me? agree to, man? You're yeah. Like, what? And then, you know, what ended up happening was like I just like had to send in another, you know, another okay. form. And they're like, oh, yeah, you, you owe 150 bucks. And I was like, oh, that's, yeah. that's better than 3000 <laughs> 3, Um, But once you see your, that bill, right? It's the same thing, actually. Like, the first time that it hits you that, oh, man, I'm a doctor is when somebody's like, we need a doctor. And you're like, oh, man, it's me. It's me. I'm the doctor. (laughs) That is cool. And so you're running on coffee, man. I see you. Oh, yeah. I see you always talking about coffee with the coffee there. Oh, you saw it? Yeah, man. Yeah. My my short-term goal, and if if you're hearing this, is to get sponsored by Sergio's. That's oh, yeah, my, Sergio's that's always there. I'm always there. I mean, I'm always hitting them up on Instagram. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I drink a decent amount of coffee. More than anything, I just I, I like the taste. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I do run on a lot of... It keeps you running. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people are, man, especially through med school, lo, uh, law school. You oh, know, yeah. It's, well, I mean, it, it's it, better than Adderall. <laughs> hey, man, like... <laughs> You know, if you need it, right? If you need, if if you need Adderall because it's like a medical chore, but of course, but it is it is one of those things where Do you feel like that's over prescribed to, to people. Uh, you know, it's tough to say that's out of my specialty. You know, mm-hmm. if it's over prescribed, it's obviously abused. Um, but you know, it's, I feel like that's a a whole different animal. You know, is you know everybody's talking about like performance enhancing drugs, but does that also parallel academic performance enhancing drugs, right? Sure. Um, so, I know it's a big, it's a big concern, yeah. right? Um, especially uh, from a public health perspective. You know, our younger kids, you know, or young adults who are already eighteen in college, are they abusing Adderall because they're just trying to get you know through an orgo test, you know, because they they partied too hard two yeah. or three days before, right? Oh yeah. I will tell you right now, yes. Yeah. Yes, they are. You because know. The, the first time I ran into it was a, 
I went to Westwood, obviously very small school. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not exposed to any of the real. It's very, it's very conservative. You know? yeah. Very yeah, small. Mm-hmm. So then I go to Miami Dade. It's it's still not that hard of a school. You know that's where I was. Now I transfer to UCF, and I'm there studying for a finance final, and it's very hard, very stressful. And I'm there in the library, and I just see a kid like take out a little pill bottle, take a pill, put it back. I was like, whatever, I'm not saying anything. I'm like, cool. I was studying with this guy. And then 30 minutes later, no joke, 45 minutes later, he opens it again and takes another one. I'm like, dude, what is that? And he's like, oh, Adderall, you want one? I was like, no. Like, what? Like, it, it was like candy to them. I was really, I was like, wow, I've just entered something that, that, I have no, that I've never seen before, you know? It's crazy. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I was in Orgo, uh, you know, transferring into Miami, and kind of the same thing. Not with Adderall, but this one, this one was actually with cocaine, which is killed me, killed no me. No way. Because I was in Orgo, and I just happened to be partnered with, you know, I, I basically went into UM at 23, 22, 23, came in with something like a wild amount of credits. Like, I was a senior I'm, I'm looking to get out. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to be an undergrad mm-hmm. anymore. So I'm paired with like this sophomore in college and she's talking about like what she did over the weekend. And I don't know how we get into the conversation of drugs. Shockingly, I'm talking about <laughs> drugs or something. And she's like, you know, um, she's like, you know, I don't really do hard drugs. Like sure, I'll do cocaine and stuff like that. And in my head, I'm like, mm. since when was cocaine not Man. a hard drug? And that's where it hits you. Like what is happening? What's on your level? What's your what's your level of you know? Where do you draw? Is crack? Is that where you? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I'll never do crack though. Yeah, like, okay, yeah, sure. you know, you, know you, you do what Not you gotta bad. do. <laughs> you know, it, but but then again, yeah, you know, I, I think kind of t- coming back to uh, Adderall, right? Um, I mean, it's a thing, right? It's in medical school. Um, you know, if you need it, if you need it, you need it. Of course, right? That's not something that I mess around with, um, especially if you need it, if it's prescribed. Yeah. Um, but if you're abusing it, you know, at the end of the day, um, what are you, what are you putting into your body? One and two, what are you actually telling your mind? Like you can't do this without this, exactly. right? If you need it, not a problem. That's like saying somebody like with an, on an antidepressant, be happier. No, that's not the way it works, right? Sometimes you need to, you need medication and that's fine. Yeah. There's no problem with that. Um, but when you are supplementing with something that you don't need to be supplementing with Mm -hmm. just because it's a hard test, that's a different animal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really like so easily accessible with, with colleges Mm -hmm. and guys are like, yeah, man, just cash at me here. It's like, there's dude, it's like nothing. It's so strange. It's so strange. And that girl's, I hope she's doing great, but her mindset is something I have not I mean, encountered at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I have never... She had to have been choking. You think she was choking? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, that is hilarious, man. That what? is so funny. I don't know, man. St- studying and, and getting burnt out and your mind... Your, your tolerance... What's your tolerance like now for learning? So... It's funny, I was talking to some of my my friends, you know, the amount of sit-down studying. So our big board exam uh, in medical school is step one. That's like our our big one that we need. There's three steps. Step one, step two, step three. Step one is the big one that you take during your second year. 
my study schedule for that test, they give you six weeks to study, and I would start studying at 8 p.m. I mean, at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. till 8 p.m. Seven days a week, every single day, <laughs> every single day. Um, and I just took a board exam for my specialty, um, and I can't sit down for more than an hour. Oh. You know, it's now it's much more practical because yeah. you need to see it in front of you to see how it's working. Um, but that curve to study for 12 hours, you know, I actually remember I was studying and when I was taking the test, the only day I took off was my birthday and that was it. And you just kept on going, man. You just kept on going. Your brain didn't get, you, you probably, Oh no. I mean, I mean, I had a panic attack. I mean, (laughs) I had a panic attack two days before the test. Yeah. That's again, what is that? a panic attack. Yeah. So I remember the way that it happened to me was, um, I mistimed, I mistimed my last question sets, right? So I, I was going to try to get through my question bank one more time right before the test. And I didn't have time. Um, so I caught myself like three days before, or two or three days before. Um, and I was at the UM, a music library, because it was nice and quiet there. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, I just felt my heart racing, heart racing, heart racing. I started sweating. I ended up going into the intramural field at UM, sitting down and crying. No, just the like the universe is ending. Like it is actively, I am actively dying. Um, and it's one of those feelings that is just terrible. That was your first one ever. First panic attacks. My first and my first and only panic attack. Okay. Um, but those are the things that you know happen, right? And again, it's terrible. But then somebody else tells you, "Hey, I'm going like, oh, I have panic. I have a, I'm having a panic attack, or I have panic attacks." I'm like, I get it. Mm-hmm. right sometimes you can control it sometimes you can't but it's like it's the real deal yeah yeah that goes back to what we said about being emphatic and being an empathetic person mm-hmm. um i honestly was not empathetic at all because i had never felt depression or anxiety or or panic attacks or anything like that and i i was so dumb i thought it was like fake of you course know? until it hit me one day and i was like wow and i was like mm, that feels weird days go days go by you know i keep feeling this feeling and then i'm like okay that must be what they're talking about you know that's what it is it's real and, and if we're circling into mental health you know that's that's one of those things where very similar to you man mental health for me is like why are you depressed for what yeah you'll just be happy why aren't you happy <laughs> right be happy right uh and then you know then you go through your bouts mm-hmm. um and you see yourself where, and I'm very open with, you know, my, you know, my stuff, right. You know, especially going through residency, you know, some personal stuff happening, you know, driving your car. Right. And just thinking to yourself, if I drive this car off the road, what would happen? Would anybody miss me? And then you catch yourself, right. That you realize that you have, you know, a life to live. You have, but those are real thoughts. Right. Oh, yeah. And and the way I look at myself, right, like, I'm a pretty happy go lucky guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, man, if and I'm blessed in so many different areas. And I'm like, man, if I'm going through this, I don't have, you know, any kids. I'm not in any, you know, real debt. Right. Like, obviously, I have student loans, mm-hmm. but I know I'll be able to pay that back. Yeah. I'm providing for myself. Um, I have a house. You know, I have an apartment that I take care of that I, you know. That's me, 
Um, you know, who knows what other life stressors are. My mom <clears throat> said one thing that's always stuck with me. It's like, she calls me Mandy. She goes, Mandy, you need to understand, you know, you don't know what somebody's going towards, coming from, or going through. Mm -hmm. You never know. You never, ever know. So, like, you might catch somebody at the best part of their day or the worst part of their day. Or the worst day of their life. The they, worst. They could have just had the worst day of their life. They could have They could have just found out that their mother died in a hospital by themselves. And you cut them off on Bird Road. And that's it. And that's it, right? And that's why I think so many things happen. It's you just catch people at the wrong time. And if you just realize, like, do I really need to flick this person off? Is it really going to make me feel better? No, it's it's yeah, it's not. It really never makes you feel better. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. You know? So it's one of those things where I think if if the perspective is when I get yelled at as a doctor mm -hmm. by patients, it's instantaneous rage. But you also think, man, I'm not in a hospital bed. You know, and I think being able to recognize that and say, you know, I can't imagine what you're going through and taking a step back. Right. Of and course. I think that's the perspective that you that if if people took that approach a little bit more serious, like it's not really an attack on me. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just circumstances yeah, or circumstances. It's not personal and. and do they teach that? Do they teach you that? Do you have courses in, in medical school to be able to deal with a certain situation or in some way the mental health of patients? Because I think that doctors, you know, police officers, firefighters, everyone that deals with people should go through some type of training to, to be calm and, and, and not take anything personally and not get hot-headed, you know, when it comes to like that, situations like that. You know, I, they they touch on it. Right. They touch on it, but it's not. It's emphasized, but not emphasized. You know, it's almost like a check. You know, okay. we take a class and that's it. Yeah. Right. But if you're not putting it into action. Right. And I use patience for my little social interactions. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had patients really angry at me and I just ask them, why are you so angry? It's sometimes have gone terribly, but sometimes <laughs> they'll be like they immediately start crying and they're like, you know, my dad's in the hospital mm -hmm. and I'm here. I can't help. Right. Prime, prime example. Right. I had a lady who in the hospital that I'm working at now, um, clearly she had a stroke, clearly needs to come to rehab. Clearly she can't move her right arm, can't move her right leg. She needs to come to rehab to get stronger. She's going to get better. And I'm like, why don't you want to come? Cause she's like, no, stop asking me. I'm tired. Don't, I'm tired. Don't push me. I was like, in Spanish. I was like, but why, why don't you want to come? Honestly, I sit down on the bed. I look right now. I go, why don't you want to come? She's like, look, I'm in my eighties. I'm sorry. I'm in my seventies. Um, I'm the primary caregiver. I'm the primary, a uh, caregiver for, um, my son who's bipolar, who's at home with my other 70 something year old sister who's also dependent on me so if you don't ask and you don't invest the time on asking the next follow-up question of like hey why not just taking the notes like but why don't you and actually seeing somebody eye to eye you'll never find out you just leave there saying like why is this old lady so angry 
There would be no way of knowing. No way of knowing. Absolutely. So it's all it's very important. And the way I see it is like I always ask a follow up. That's the same reason why I when somebody asks me that they use drugs, I'll ask a follow up and I'll keep on going, right? Respectfully, of course, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But it's interesting. I don't know where to buy crack, right? That's that I don't <laughs> I don't know that. But if you find out what these people do to get to that, you start identifying so many huge issues, one in healthcare, two in the social constructs of just everything. Um, people do crazy things for things that they're dependent on, right? Uh, sorry to just like go tangent. No, no, no. I totally uh, my, see where you're going though. Like, but like my, so for example, my dad used to own a supermarket in, in Baltimore, mm-hmm. right? And it was a very rough neighborhood. People were always stealing from his supermarket, always. And sometimes people would go in there and steal ribeyes. And he would call the cops on the people who'd steal ribeyes. He was like, why are you stealing a ribeye? Right? Stealing is bad. Right? End the story. But then you have a guy who comes in and you catch him stealing a Lunchables. Yo, why is he stealing a Lunchables? Because he's hungry. That's why. You know, is stealing bad? Yeah. That's crazy, huh? But... What, what are you going to do? Yeah, there was a story that came out not that long ago that it caught, that they caught like a mom stealing groceries, you know, just to feed her family. And the cop, instead of like arresting her and doing all that, he went and he bought her the groceries. And I'm like, man, what a like beautiful act of kindness. You know, some, some mom out there, who knows, again, who knows the, the situation? I'm just assuming that she's grinding and trying to feed her family mm-hmm. with, with something. And, and just little things like that can just make the world so much better, you know? Mm-hmm. You never know what type of day someone was having, whether they're on the border of, like, suicide, mm-hmm. if it's a worst-case scenario, you know, and, and, and just giving up on, on their situation. When I was going through my stuff, man, like, I, I remember the people who just were just nice to me just to be nice. They didn't know anything that was going on, mm-hmm. right? But you have your personal issues going on, and all of a sudden, you know, people are just being nice, right they're not calling you out they see that you're a little bit more down than usual um having a good support system is always very important right so um that's what i think you need to yeah those are the best people huh yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean and it goes all the way from us i know you were saying earlier you know we're blessed you have all these things you're supporting yourself you're a doctor you're Mm -hmm. a um doctor you know congrats (laughs) but and there's people that are the richest people in the world and they are still extremely depressed. Mm-hmm. So obviously, money is not the the answer to happiness. But what do you what do you attribute your happiness to? What makes you genuinely happy? I know we talked about help, helping others and and that. And is that where a lot of your your happiness comes from? Um, I th- I've always been a pretty happy guy, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like I've always been a pretty. I mean, I'm just generally like a romantic optimist who just tries to see things from a different perspective um again listening to the audible audible books like with malcolm gladwell like really just like you know but even as as a as a as a as a kid um you know i'm an only child so i guess i kind of just had to figure things out right you just kind of figured things out and um i think i think for the most part i'm a decent communicator i can see both sides uh, my parents separated pretty early, and sometimes I had to be in the middle of both of them. Uh, but also, being an only child, I was always with my mom, who was obviously with her group of friends that were older. And if I wanted to be involved in the conversation, I had to, I had to 
talk to grown-ups you when, had to grow up when you i had was to grow up early yeah you know, that honestly that sounds a lot like me too my parents also split up i don't know five when i was five or six you know and and changes you you know being around these adults and seeing the reality of the relationship mm-hmm. and it grows you up yeah you have no choice but, um, you have no choice it's your life yeah and that's you know i was that's what i would do i would have to talk to to grown-ups because mm-hmm. yeah, if not then i'm just gonna be in the corner by myself of course um and we're good at only children just being just being by ourselves but you True. also want to be included <laughs> <laughs> and so where does this tie into your to your happiness you know um so i think that my happiness um I really get so much joy from one seeing people laugh and having a good time, right? Um, the way that I that I see it is if you can make somebody laugh for one second, they forgot all their problems. One second. True. Um, and I think that for me, you know, sometimes I get criticized a little bit in, in my in my work environment because I, I do keep a very uh, light attitude. Like very light, um, in the sense of, I'm much more jokey, right? I take okay. my job serious when I have to take it, but you know, at the end of the day, we do depressing work, hmm. right? That's yeah. what that's what we do. Yeah. Um, people's people's worst nightmare is our day to day. That's right. That's the reality, um, and if. I can somehow bring out like that's for me that's just a perspective I guess like my happiness comes from the perspective of I want to make other people happy sometimes at a sacrifice to myself right and that's just a reality as a as a as a as a flaw a personality flaw but um, it's fun to make other people happy of course and so when it comes to your job and you feel exhausted after a long work week I know you're starting you know you probably get one day off and then you're back on. So it's not really like the end of the work week, but do you feel more mentally drained, emotionally drained, physically drained? Like, how do you feel as a doctor? What, what does it affect most for you personally? I, I think that, yeah, I mean, it's emotionally draining. I can't tell you how many times I've, I'm, again, I'm excessively honest with who I am. I can't tell you how many times I've cried in a parking lot. I can't tell you how many times I've written, you know, a journal, uh, about a patient, a big therapeutic thing for me was I started writing on an online a blog. It's called Doximity. Um, and I would just send articles to them about patients that I had that really impacted me. Um, so I love to write. Um, and then you know, the typical stuff, you can kind of work out. But um, but you feel unbelievably and emotionally drained, right? And depending on the specialty that you're in. Um, when I was in the ICU as an intern, it was death day in, day out, day in, day out, right? You would see somebody be like, yeah, that guy's going to die. And that's it. Um, so it's it's tough. It's tough. And then you understand why you have this, like, uh, you understand why other people crack because it's the truth, man. Like, our day-to-day, if, you know, our day-to-day is people's worst nightmare I remember being on a rotation where you told I told three people back to back that they had you know stage four cancer, mm. right? But the reality is, I'm delivering that. Like, if somebody tells me I have stage four cancer, I'm only told that once. That's it. I'm hand delivering that as an intern, you know, to people back to back to back, and each one of those people need to hear it in an empathetic way. 
right? You can't you can't just say that yo you got cancer. Yeah, I gotta go, you know. Yeah. But you see that, um, and I think it's very important to yeah. What's your what's your strategy on that? On to, to deliver the news. Oh man, I, I think you have to be very socially aware of your situation. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to you have to play the read the room. You definitely have to read the room. Yeah. That's something you cannot be illiterate on. Yeah. Like, you need to be able. You can't to just get... be the guy that walks in and says, "Hey, bad news." Yeah, you know I've. Um, even in rehab, when we get patients who sometimes didn't even know they had cancer, right? Sometimes, you know, it is what it is. But um, breaking breaking bad news is something that medical school nows are try, are trying to be better at. Mm-hmm. But for sure, it's one of those things that you have to you have to set a stage. You have to sit down. Um, don't look over a patient. You know, a you know, don't look down on them. It's one of those things where you just have to meet them eye to eye. And sometimes I start off with one, what what do you know? What do you think it is? And how honest do you want me to be? Whenever I have something big, you know, whether that be in anything, how honest do you want me to be? And if they say it very honest, then straight up, then you, you hit them. Get right to it. You hit them. If, they, if they're like, no, I... You also read the room. They go, ma'am, you have X, Y, and Z. Um, these are what the tests show. This is what we think you have. And you go from there. Yeah. I mean, life is so crazy because, like, just the, the job that has the lowest of lows can also have the highest of highs mm-hmm. and the most satisfaction. And it, in life, I guess it's just that way because you're never going to have no risk and have a high reward, you know, for, for anything in life. I can't believe you chose that path, man. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, you know, medicine chooses you. You, you choose it, man. You choose it every day um, because I can easily quit. Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to pay my quarter million debt. <laughs> like, I can't, you know, I can't do that at Sedano's. But, uh, <laughs> right. But, uh, but the reality is, you know, you choose to, you make a conscious decision, right? And again, uh Sometimes being outside of the hospital, I remember parking my car outside of the hospital during my intern year, um, during one of those stretches where, you know, you're, you feel depressed, you feel tired, you kind of put your head down and you're like, okay, uh, these patients don't need my energy. These patients don't need my negative energy. It's time to turn it on mm-hmm. and you turn it on, you turn on your fake happiness and that's it. And then you go home, Right. And then you got to deal with that. But I think being a doctor, being a lawyer, being anything, right? Um, I don't know if you go to Starbucks. I don't know where you buy food or whatever. But, like, there's something when you go into a place and the person who's, like, serving you is, like, happy. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is nice. You go to Trader Joe's and they're like, hey, what's up? Oh, Chick-fil-A? Yeah, exactly. I love it, Chick-fil-A. It, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I feel like they could probably sell the worst chicken. I'd be like, nah, I'll come yeah, back. Yo, my, I like you. My pleasure. Yeah, you know, my, pleasure. my pleasure. Exactly. All right. <laughs> um, you know, and the only thing that you can really control is your attitude. Right? That's really the only thing you control. Everything else is a variable. Um, that's really all you can control. Yeah. I want to switch the topic a little bit. I, I want to talk to you about, like, what you think about friendships and, and growing up throughout high school, maybe you've had a close group of friends and you've wandered off. Like what's your situation like? Cause I know like you have no time to, to maintain these friendships, maintain your relationship that you're in now that you mentioned to me mm-hmm. before we started. And where do you find the time? Do you think you have to kind of 
give up on on social life? Um, you know, depends depends on what you want to do, um, right? Some people are workaholics, and that's what you want to do, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think you need to find a healthy balance. You know, if I'll answer your question. You know, with uh, my friend group, um, yeah, in high school you have you know a group a group of 10, 12, you know, people, you're like, oh, you know, these are my boys for life. And then now, like, my circle is pretty small, right? I I would say two or three close friends. From high school? or From from high school, right? Um, and then one, you know, my boy, Georgie Size. <laughs> Shout out Georgie. Shout out Georgie. <laughs> uh you know so but but then again right even even in friendships like we've had we've had we've butted heads right uh me in med school and then he all of a sudden you know falls off the radar because like he's in his own stuff um and i fall off the radar because i'm in med school it's life it's life man and then you know i'll reach out to him i'll be like yo don't forget that i'm here right and then that turns into like a midnight call and then we talked for like two hours you catch up and that's it um and then you know being in a relationship is something that you know and it's obviously being a resident and being in the medical profession right it's tough it's tough but you just make conscious decisions of like okay i want to be with somebody you know I might have to do a little bit more on this side so I can spend more time on that side, right? Um, it really becomes time management, right? And from a relationship perspective, like, you just got to be with somebody who, one, makes you feel good, mm-hmm. right? Ain't no need to be with somebody with, you know, giving you ne- negative energy. Of course. Right? Is course. enough negative energy out there. Um, and then my biggest thing just in life and also just in a relationship is communication, man. Like, saying to that person hey i'm gonna be busy for exactly. the for the next exactly. week yeah like yeah. this week's gonna suck stick with me but i'm telling you on sunday that this week is gonna suck you're you know not finding out on wednesday that like oh why haven't you you know yeah. why haven't you called so often or why haven't you texted oh i'm busy that is me you know yeah hey, i can't talk right now i'm in clinic yeah what else are you gonna say yeah, you right know? that's it you and are it, and, you it's, busy, and, you know? and, and you know it's it's the responsibility of that other person saying all right i respect that or like nah i'm gonna bounce yeah right so yeah they know that they're dating someone that their job is is highly demanding of them yeah. and, and their time is of value and and that's tough man oh yeah you know and the same thing i'm sure you'll experience that you know going into law school right it's it's tough yeah it's me, tough me and my girlfriend we're planning on both going to law school okay same school we don't know yet oh that's right we don't know yet <laughs> i'm not sure she's wanted to go to dc because she did an internship over there and she's she loved it so she might want to go over there and then i'll i'm probably i'm not going over there so yeah <laughs> i'll be here and uh yeah long distance and demanding jobs it can it's hard it's not easy no, no never, it's not. never been easy no it's not and that's one of those things in medicine like those are sacrifices that you're gonna have to make right sometimes it's time apart distance apart all you can really ask for at that point is trust right like you look at somebody in the eyes and be like yo i trust you and that's it once that trust is gone then that's it right but at the end of the day right like you know relationship that i'm in like trust is key right and it's very mutual right Mm -hmm. i trust her she trusts me that's it that's the other thing in medicine like you can just lie (laughs) right 
you can just lie. Oh, I'm I'm working long longer hours. Who knows? Maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. Same thing as an attorney. Oh, I gotta get this case. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. All the meeting rooms are running really late today. Exactly. So you're at the bar over there hanging out. Exactly. (laughs) Right. So all you can ask for is is trust and honesty. Um, And once you found that, what more can you ask for? That's it. That's the foundation to a healthy relationship Mm -hmm. and and just a happy life, you know, because Mm -hmm. that and communication, right? Because even if at any point there are hiccups, like, you need to be able to one give your grievance like hey this is what i see you know x y and z and hopefully that's reciprocated mm-hmm. um and that's it and communication and trust are without a doubt quintessential yeah in, in life and relationship yeah. and professional relationships doesn't matter yeah even when it comes to family you know i wish i would spend more time with family and then i can't imagine having your whole mental mind drained you know, studying all these hours or working all these hours and then you still have to find time for family and your relationship. And I mean, that balance is something that I'm really going to have to work on, you mm-hmm. know, and I know you're working on it or, or going through that now. It's a crazy thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just being cognizant of it. But um, this was a great podcast, man. You know, I appreciate it. This I appreciate you having me. Amazing. <laughs> I've learned so much. I have to go back and watch it a couple of <laughs> times to like, try to recall these terms i'm like wait let me google that what does that mean you know but thank you for being here man, yeah, man. it's my pleasure i, I appreciate it. it's always uh it makes me feel like an old man it really <laughs> makes me feel like an old man like especially when i left westwood and seeing y'all kind of go your own way and then yep. you say oh, i'm 21 i was like oh my god 21 that's man. crazy yep time flies from seeing you guys as a freshman crazy it is crazy huh yeah you still look the same yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah you look good you look better hey, thanks thanks yeah, I, yeah. I, I i appreciate it i yeah, appreciate man. it so thanks for reaching out thanks for being supportive we'll see you guys on the next one if you've tuned in uh be real